Hello and welcome to Kicking Tires. My name is Jimmy. And I'm Justin. And today we got some exciting automotive news, starting with the MX-30. Then we got the Jetta, got a little bit of a facelift. There's the electric Dodge muscle car. So that's going to be interesting. The Explorer ST, there's a little bit of a refresh there. And the Forester gets a little bit of a facelift as well. So let's talk about the MX-30 first. So the MX-30 is Mazda's first electric car. I mean, maybe they had something electric in the past. I don't know. Anyways, it's a new electric vehicle that is positioned in a very weird place. So let's talk about price because that's the, the main thing that was released. It's 42000 Canadian or 34000 US. Um, and of course, there's incentives. So depending on where you are, you're looking at, well, in the States, you can only get it in California. So it's 8500 to like $13,500 off of it um, if you're in California, depending on a whole bunch of different things. But it can potentially be like a $20,000 electric vehicle. Huh. Potentially. I mean, you're like the, the incentive there is dependent on your income and a whole bunch of other things. It's kind of weird in California how that's figured up, mm. but um, yeah, you know, potentially, you know, you're looking at that, but even at 34,000, you're like, ah, that's, that's not too bad. It's priced reasonably well. I mean, it's less than like a, a Kia Soul or a Hyundai Kona, but then you read into the details and then you realize it only has a hundred mile range or 160 kilometers, which is, um, which is very little actually, because the Mini Cooper, that has 114 miles and that's like the next tier. Even the Leaf has more range, like, and the Leaf is cheaper than this. But where they're kind of going with this is they're, I feel like, they're kind of trying to compete with the BMW i3. That's what I was thinking. This, yeah, it's a quirky car, but the i3 was more experimental, which MX does stand for the experimental they're, they're cars. Experimental. Exactly. Um, but that i3 came when EV was still just starting to hit the mainstream. Mm -hmm. But now we've got really established EVs. I don't know if this makes sense. Um, it's been around for like a year now, I think, in Japan. I'm not too sure, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's been around for a little bit. I've seen them in Japan. Um, it's it's such a quirky shape, too. I, I just don't know. Like The incentives have to be pretty good to get this, yeah. which it, it won't be great because... Ultimately, it won't be better incentives than a leaf, I think. No, I don't think so. Yeah, whereas a leaf does replace your typical commuter vehicle, this is borderline. Yeah. So, okay. As some of you may know, I'm one of the biggest Mazda fans. Um, I show this to my wife. My wife loves it. She was like, oh, it's perfect. We're looking for an electric car. This is Mazda. It's exactly what she wants because she loves Mazdas. And then I told her, I'm like, well, it's about a 160 kilometer range. And she's like, oh, that's 
good enough for like three days of work that's it i'm like yeah can't really go that far like if we decide to go into abbotsford we probably can't go to abbotsford and back without charging Mm. like (laughs) it's a problem with the the limited range um but at least in california this is not uh something that the Canadian Mazda has offered, but in the US, what you can do is up to 10 times a year, you can ring up a Mazda dealership and be like, hey, I got a little <laughs> bit, I got a little bit further of a range today than 160 kilometers, 100 miles. So can I borrow a gas powered Mazda? And they'll give you one <laughs> up to 10 days in, a, in, in the first three years that you have it, you can borrow a gas-powered Mazda. Yeah. I mean, to me, (laughs) it's sending the wrong message. We want people to get into electric to replace gasoline vehicles, not to uh, supplement it. But, eh, you know, it's kind of like riding the bus or riding a bike. It will work for you 90% of the time. Yeah. And then there's that 10% time where you have no choice, but you need your own gas-powered car. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, 10 times in three years isn't that bad, let's be honest. Just yeah. over three times a year, it's 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 not bad. I mean, you're not going to go on that many road trips anyways, right? Um, like, it's, it's a good idea, but it's so bad at the same time. Um, it's, it's just so weird. I, I personally love how this thing looks. I love the interior of it as well. Um, the materials that's used on the seats and the cork that's in the center console, it's super unique and super cool. But just hundred mile range, it's it's, it's uh, very limiting. Yeah, I thought there were talks about putting in a little rotary and stuff. Yeah, they kind of axed that. Yeah, yeah, they kind of... they they said they had reliability issues. Who With saw that coming? <laughs> what? No way. <laughs> they were. So they were hoping the rotary, because it's going to be constantly spinning at a certain RPM, um, and they can be computer managed, because the rotary is going to be uh, not an engine that powers the vehicle, like powers the wheels, but it powers a generator, which charges the battery. It can be steady RPM, it can run longer, and it can help, like the electronics can help the cool down and the warm up process, which is one of the key things on rotary, right? Like you don't want to start a rotary vehicle for 10 seconds and shut it off. It's just one of those big no-no things. So with the electronics, it was supposed to help that, but I guess electronics can only go so far. Mm. But yeah. Oh, they also want to give you $500 um, as a charging credit. So you can use that to charge your vehicle or you can install a home charger with it as well. So you get that, which isn't bad. Yeah. Not that powerful either, eh? 141, under 200 pound feet of torque. Yeah, and all to the front wheels. Yeah, I'm not interested in this car. No, it's, I think it's one of those cool things that you'll see on the road and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But it's not a vehicle that, you know, either of us would be all that interested in. You don't want to spend your own money on it. No. I, I would love to experience it, but definitely not one that uh Mm -hmm. you know i'll buy but this one this one's interesting 
the next topic here is the Jetta. So the Jetta got a slight update for a 2022 model year. Um, I mean, arguably, the Jetta is pretty boring of a vehicle, and it really isn't getting too much more exciting. But the GLI version is, is not bad. Um, but the base model Jetta, it's getting a slight bump. So instead of 1.4 liter that it has before, it's now 1.5. You get a little bit more power out of it. That's the same engine that's in the Taos, which is like their subcompact SUV. And I mean, the, the updates to it on the inside as well with the digital cockpit, that's nice. Um, there's also new stitching and stuff like that. I mean, it's a good update. Yeah, exterior wise, it's very minor. Like it's just the bumpers change a little bit. The grill changes a little bit. You can tell right away if you know what to look for, which is the grill. It's got the two bars coming off, and that's kind of what the difference is between this one and last year's on the outside. The bumper, you, you'd have to really know these cars to, to see the difference. Um, GLI model looks great, I think. The, the, the accents they've done to it and the, the new bumper gives it a totally different... It's nice and aggressive on the front end. Yeah. yeah. And even the rear end, it's it's pretty clean. And the, the diffuser is, is pretty big. And the whole wraparound diffuser thing. Uh, Interior-wise, it's basically the same as before. Yeah. Um, the which, is inch... not, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. They have two versions of their virtual cockpit thing. So the base model... Well, the middle trims... Get the eight inch standard, and then when you go up to GTI, you get the ten inch or GLI. Same <laughs> thing. Confusing. <laughs> yeah. No, the GTI interior I think is a little bit nicer. It. I think the GTI is a step, definitely a step above, because the GLI, the Jetta is based on Mark Seven or even Mark Six kind of interior whereas the gli or gti is now mark eight right so this is more like a seven and a half kind of in between area it's got a bit of that mark eight look with the with the two different levels like the screen is skewed mm -hmm. towards the driver and then if you look a little bit further down it's got climate controls and the shifter area looks more like a mark seven so it's it's uh it's a little bit of an overlap car um jetta never I never really thought, you know, thought too much about this car, but after recently driving like a brand new Corolla, and I'm like, dude, this super car disappointed, is awful. <laughs> like everything about it was pretty bad. Like I'm a Toyota fanboy, and the Corolla is is bad. Like the base, I think it was a LE with the hubcaps, and it's just it handles terribly. It's very slow, uh, not even good on gas got like nine liters per hundred K. Um, I really liked when Volkswagen switched to that 1.4. So with the uh, Golf, the previous generation, and this one had that 1.4 turbo, really good motor, like really strong low end, mm. um, which helps with your fuel economy and helps you feel like you have something Zippy. not so gutless. Yeah. yeah. It makes a bit of noise too, which... I think is not a bad thing in this segment. Um, but obviously the GLI is the one the enthusiasts go for. Mm -hmm. uh, GLI gets that electronic LSD and adaptive damping, which is 
kind of exclusive to this in this yeah. class. Um, yeah. Yeah. I and you know one of the things I we really have to point out is that the biggest probably the biggest uh, competitor is probably the Civic. And so the Civic SI and the Elantra N line would be yeah. the uh, biggest competitors. Yeah, being from like a mainstream kind of um yeah, this brand being one of the bigger brands, the the Civic the new Civic sedan looks very similar to this car. Like from the rear three quarter view, it's got a very similar shape aside from the the side window, the window kink, the window kink behind the C pillar, uh, which is pretty subtle. Um, the roof shape is a little bit different. I think the Civic is a little bit higher near the middle. Uh, gives you a bit more headroom, but overall it is a very similar shape i think the the jetta was pretty handsome and you can get oh one thing that's new they're adding a few more colors for for 2022 which is always a welcome thing because it's it's almost it's too easy for manufacturers to just get away with offering like four colors white uh, silver black gray gray <laughs> yeah it's all the monochrome colors yeah <laughs> um they because they sell easy and you chances are you like one of one of the four choices they give you but yeah you get some cool color options they got that cool gray that's like like a darker nardo gray i forgot what it's called can um, you get the because i know the gti you can get like an assortment of colors that was like a no you can't go crazy on the no oh, on the okay, jetta okay. yeah because i remember it was only like a couple thousand dollars like five thousand or something like that for full like special color like, like lamborghini green color. yeah the yeah purple. the purple yeah it was really nice on the uh the current i think gti and golf r's had that um yeah, golf r for sure had and it's it was just it stands out like it's horrible yeah. for resale like if you're thinking about that because you know you, you gotta find that special someone that will love a viper green whatever color but when you have it it just stands out in a crowd it's it, it's just yeah, so the nice. color the color transforms the car um and i i feel that way with the super right now is like <laughs> being yellow it's like it, it just it make it puts it on a different level i'm not i wasn't a huge fan in the beginning but seeing it you know now that it's got a little bit of work done to it um yeah, it's really come together. Having that color just, and that's something that's not easy to change down the road too. Yeah, well, I mean, you can wrap it, but I mean, as good as wraps are still, like they just don't look as good as real paint. Like they don't shine, they don't shimmer. They, they still have like, just, yeah. Like and you'll it looks see like your, a layer your original on color in underneath in the yeah. door jams and stuff like that. Um, one thing we forgot to mention, the GLI uh, does get the GTI motor as well. Um, mm. The E8888, whatever one. Um, Fourth generation. Yeah, 228 horsepower um, paired with a seven-speed DSG or six-speed manual still. So you can still get a stick shift in the GLI. So yeah. that's certainly nice because, you know. Yeah, and of... you can get the stick shift <laughs> in the lower trim Jettas too. 
Uh, mm. Volkswagen's big on that, I guess, keeping the stick shift alive in these cars. And that was one of the things I always noticed with like Mark IVs, especially Mark IVs and Mark Vs. There's a surprising amount that are actually purchased with manuals. Mm. I think the people that typically make the the, the move to go to a, a Jetta versus a Corolla or Civic, that was kind of the idea is that you get slightly sportier driving model. Oh wow, you can get a Highline with a manual. It's not just the base model. Yeah. Wow, okay, that's cool. But yeah, and then in the states, I don't know if we're going to get this here. They they have the a sport trim which previously was called the R-line. So that's got the blacked out basically like a black optics package yeah. uh and it does have a some kind of LSD XTS. So I don't know if it's a real LSD. It's so common, like a blacked oh, version of a car these days. Every mm-hmm. manufacturer is doing it. Black edition. It's. I don't yeah. like it. I don't like a glossy black wheel. I hate it. Because yeah. like it gets scratched up over time. It doesn't look good. Like sure, it looks great in a showroom, but uh, that's just me. Anyways, let's move on. Let's talk about Dodge. Um, Dodge, the makers of the Hellcat. The makers of um, all the SRT products that you can think of, they're coming up with a well, it's something that's very weird uh, <laughs> because they want very undodge like it very undodge like they want to make an electric muscle car. Um, they throw a tweezer on their Twitter and they're saying how like you know the creators of the 426 uh, Hemi V8 is now making. An electric muscle car. Uh, you can't see what the car looks like. There's nothing about the vehicle itself. It's just about how Dodge makes every single beast that's available on the road, and they're doing something a little different. I mean, let's be honest. They're super late to the party, but if they're if they're willing to bring something different to the road, I, I, I'm interested. But would anyone want an electric muscle car and what is an electric muscle car i mean the model y or model x is basically an electric muscle car right um yeah i mean all all the teslas are basically electric muscle cars all the performance models a muscle car is supposed to be like redonkulously fast like real loud and yeah the sound is gonna be the biggest (laughs) obstacle for an electric car um i mean the the idea of hooning and burnouts and drag racing is not exclusive to the combustion engine per se <laughs> it, it's not but i just feel like i don't know just it's different right it's yeah. not really the same as before it's not you know <sighs> There's just something about a charger and a challenger just doing, you know, laying down 11s down the road. That's something amazing about that. Yeah. Part With of the a... appeal is the single digit MPGs. <laughs> yeah. When I had the, uh, when I had the challenger, it was just the RT model and I was booting that thing around for a while and I almost got into single digits and it was, it was amazing. It felt great. And the sound, oh, that V8. Like, sure, it doesn't make as much power as some other V8s out there, but yeah. the sound was great. And I mean, let's just talk about Stellantis 
electronics in general. <laughs> Not their strong suit. Uh, I mean, the Pacifica EVs, was amazing. I'm going to say that first. A simpler technology than, you know, in theory, they should be more reliable. There's less <laughs> moving parts, but this is. <laughs> But, yeah, but the Chrysler, moving, Dodge. but the only moving part is what they're not great at. <laughs> yeah, no, their non-moving parts are what they're bad at too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, Stellantis isn't great at a lot of stuff. <laughs> their reliability scores are pretty low, pretty horrendous. So, you know, going into a brand new uh, <laughs> market for them, I don't know. It's it's yeah. going to be different. Um, it is coming in 2024, and we should see something next year in regards to like a concept and whatnot. Yeah, um, because I mean, Solantis as a whole has been pretty slow with the EV. Oh, super slow. Um, and so, and usually people start with a more pedestrian model and then work their way up to uh, kind of a hot rod style you know big power big performance ev and so yeah i don't know i'm curious but i'm i'm holding my uh thoughts till a little bit later because i i just don't see this going well in terms of an actual performance sedan like i'm sure it can make a lot of power tesla proves that an electric car can make a lot of power but like i've driven uh what does it really boat. mean? Like well, I don't, performance muscle? <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it needs to do burnouts. That's one thing it has to do. Like, it needs to do good burnouts. It but should be able to. Electric does. Like, a Spark EV does burnouts. It, 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 the, the type of burnout <laughs> is different. Like, it's not only the smoke show, it's the sound. It's the ability. If, you know, if you're standing next to it, you know you might die because yeah. that, you know, the, the engine might explode on you or the driver doesn't have good control of the car and it swings around and hit you. Yeah. I just don't feel an electric version of it. You know, it's no. going to be as good because yeah. it's going to be safer. And who wanted a safer muscle car? Let's yeah. be honest. A safer right. dodge. Like, <laughs> if you can't dodge it, ram it. That's been their slogan <laughs> all these years. So we'll see. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, performance, <laughs> American um, performance, American performance. Uh, Ford is okay. So the Ford Explorer uh, reviewed one a little while back. It was the hybrid model. I thought it was great. Um, but the Ford Explorer, what's unique about it is it's actually a rear wheel drive driven uh, first, then to front wheels. So like the four wheel drive system, it's more rear drive uh, biased. And what they've done for the 2022 model year is given us a, an ST model as well as an ST line that is rear wheel drive. That's super cool, but it's not going to sell here in Canada. I don't even know if it's going to come into to, to Canadian market. Um, I believe in the US it's going to be fine because I'm thinking of it as a tow vehicle, right? Like if you're living mm -hmm. down in Florida, you won't need four wheel drive just won't but I, I think it's super cool that they're adding this rear wheel drive as an option um and for those who want to look cool but don't want to 
you know, have that additional power because the ST comes with 400 horsepower from that three liter uh, EcoBoost. If you're thinking uh, 300 horsepower from a 2.3 is good, you can get the ST line, which mm. looks like an ST, but you just don't get the performance bits. This is this is kind of a. I didn't really see this coming to do a rear wheel drive SUV, because to me the ST it's like it's nice, but it's not like blow you away kind of performance. Nor is it like a Durango with a Hellcat motor. <laughs> Right. Or just a Durango SRT. Yeah, or even like an X5M or that level of uh, performance SUV. I don't think it's there. No. Um, it doesn't have necessarily the handling or the braking to to put itself out there as this kind of product. So I'm thinking maybe it's just to offer like a, a cheaper alternative. Yeah. I think it's a little bit cheaper of an option for those who don't need the four-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, I think the Explorer is one of the ones that's in this mid kind of market that can tow, uh, other than the Durango, because the Durango can tow quite a bit as well. And both of those are rear drive-based all-wheel drive systems. Um, so, like, if you're looking for it, you know, before it was just a Durango as the only option um, for a rear wheel drive model, like you can now get this as well. So I think it's just giving buyers that option. Mm -hmm. It's not so much like it's going to be a better performing vehicle. I don't think they're just judging from that. Yeah. It's just giving you that option. Yeah, I'm sure it will handle marginally better, whether or not we can feel that difference. Yeah, a little bit less know. weight, right? But yeah. It, yeah, definitely, definitely not huge. Um, speaking of not huge, the Forester. So this is uh, on for. So I'm looking at currently a Subaru Japan's website, and they actually updated the Forester. It's a refreshed front end <laughs> that looks very not awkward. very refreshing. <laughs> it's it's a very awkward front end. Um, I mean, okay, let's be honest. There's Every single vehicle in the world, you know, a lot of manufacturers, they tweak it for different markets. Um, I was doing research for the Nissan Kicks, and the Nissan Kicks that's available here in Canada looks quite a bit different than the one that's in India uh, versus Brazil versus uh, Mexico. Like, it's a little bit different. It's tweaked all throughout the world. But this one, it does not look good. Like, that yeah, the front headlight? Extremely <laughs> funky. I'm not a fan of it. Um, it this generation a, Forester was not pretty to begin with. I didn't mind it. I thought it was okay. But they they took the headlight and they chopped off the section between the light and the grill, essentially. And they moved it further out. So now there's just nothing. Yeah. It's this bumper in between the headlight and the grill. It's super awkward. It like, looks cheap. Like why? Like it looks more entry level. Like they've moved down to a, a cuter, a cuter subcompact look, but they've they've put it on a you know a larger crossover, and yeah. so it just doesn't look right. Like if you put this in like a a K van, this type of headlight, I think it would look great. Hmm. But on on a midsize, small to midsize crossover. 
uh, yeah, weird. Not not pretty, but and the rear end of this Forester was always pretty ugly to me. <laughs> There's it was so bad that they don't even have a picture of the back end. Huh. <laughs> yeah, they only show with the the, the trunk the hatch open because <laughs> with the trunk closed, it's quite. Oh my god! With look at that one with the orange Oof. accents. That this one is embarrassing. Like they make that one here. I forgot. Is it the sport trim? Um, with all the orange accents and the I orange stitching. What it's called? I think, I think it's, it's called a sport trim. It looks like someone who just spends too much time at Walmart or Canadian Tire. <laughs> Like had their way with it and put all the the fake carbon fiber and like random pinstriping on the car, uh, really yeah. tacky. And it's like that's not what the Forester is about. The Forester is about like having the most practical uh, crossover in its class. It should be the easy choice because you know you should have that all-wheel drive confidence, the um, and and a lot of space, a lot of visibility. And then you kind of throw this curveball at us and make it look kind of like an eyesore. Uh, I mean, come on, look at this next to the Rav for the Rogue. Yeah, uh, this is by quite quite a large margin the ugliest. Like this has solidified its place at the bottom of the pack as far as looks. Yeah, it. It's definitely not great. Not sure exactly what they're thinking. Uh, good news is this was released um, in Subaru of Japan, here in North America, Subaru US, as well as Canada. Um, there's there's no updates just yet on anything. So who knows? Maybe for us, it'll be okay. We won't get this facelift. Uh, but uh, I did want to talk about something here. Because the Wilderness Edition, if you remember, I think three, four weeks back, we talked about the Wilderness Edition and Subaru uh, released a, a photo of what the next Wilderness Edition will look like. And Car and Driver said that it was going to be the Ascent. Um, I was on their website recently and, and they took that word right back out and they said that it's going to be a Forester. So yep. it looks like we were right. And we caught them in 4K. Well, no, this podcast doesn't record in 4K. No, we don't have that kind of budget. But yeah, we, we <laughs> but we did catch them, and we did show the uh, car and driver article where they said it was the ascent, and have proven our superiority. <laughs> we over are better car and driver. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that wilderness follow though. But. I really don't think that 2.4 motor is coming in or 2.3 turbo. I don't mm. think so. I think they're just going to lift it a little bit, give it slightly beefier tires and call it a day. Cause yeah. I don't even think they gave the Outback like really beefier tires. They just put a better, a better tire. Yeah. yeah. A better t uh, off-road tire. Yeah. That was really it. <sighs> it's that. I don't, I don't think Subaru has a budget for that right now. I think they're, pulling the money together with Toyota to develop that electric vehicle. So makes sense. Subaru isn't like a, a huge manufacturer in terms of, you know, just the amount of money that can spend on the R&D. So it's all right. We'll let them pass. Someone that can spend a lot of money is Mercedes. Um, so just the past week released the 2021 Mercedes-Benz AMG GLE 63S formatic plus Review. Coop review. Coupe. Super, super long name. Um, okay. 
let, let me hear your thoughts on the GLE Coupe first. 63. I, when they came out with this generation GLE Coupe, I was like, that's actually kind of cool. The rear end to me is very striking. Um, it's, there's something about this that it doesn't make any sense, but I love how bulbous it is. And I, I like the, the curves that the coupe gets. Would I spend my money on one? Hell no. I, I'm not going to spend <laughs> this kind of money on on an SUV that, you know. What, what do you mean? It's only $150,000. Exactly. And, it, you know, the, the regular GLE starts at half that. So about there, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I agree with you. It is super bulbous. Like it's it's really rounded on the rear end. Um, I I I don't understand coupe SUVs. Like to me, an SUV should be something that is practical. This isn't practical. You lose the ability to have the third row. You lose the ability to have larger items, and because of the electronic tailgate, you really shouldn't have the tailgate open to have longer items in. It's it's very hard to reach into. I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the trunk lift over height is pretty tall, but there's a button you can press that can squat the rear suspension down. Mm. But still, even when squatted, it's still pretty high. Like, it just doesn't make sense as, like, an SUV. But when I was driving around and then I was talking to some friends, I found out exactly what it's good for. If you take this to Cars and Coffee it's going to be stealing the show, especially in this, this, this signal color that we got. This red is, is super pretty. Um, I actually wanted to take it to Cars and Coffee and see people's reaction and stuff like that. But um, on the Sunday that I filmed this, unfortunately, it's the one Sunday that Cars and Coffee didn't happen at, um, at West 4th. Spanish banks. Spanish banks, yeah. It didn't happen. Like, I, I drove up and down in the morning, and there was no one there. I was really upset. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find anyone. But I, I think that's the only reason why this exists, is to show off it's your It's a wealth. show car. It, yeah. It is. Uh, I mean, for a lot of people, you don't need an SUV to, you know, move large furniture, my dad is my dad is one of those guys that is like, I need an SUV. I need to move my fridges. Yesterday he texted me a picture. He had like the whole trunk of the Turek filled with cinder blocks. <laughs> and I was like, like, like some some people use their SUVs this way. Others just want um, you know a little bit higher ride height. This is you know we got to think like AMG four door. Uh, or like an E63. Um, so some people just want the higher ride height, not really getting that much ground clearance with this car anyways. No. Um, I, I love this look, though, because the previous generation GLE was one of the ugliest SUV coupes. And with this one, the rear end is just transformed. Like, it's it's definitely one of the prettiest now. It's a lot Actually, better. They're all pretty good. Like the Q8 looks really good. The Cayenne Coupe looks pretty good. Um, so I get it. It's like SUV doesn't always have to be about the utility. It's it's it's. They probably don't even call it an SUV. To be no. honest, 
they uh, I, I don't think yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah, I get it. And I know this handles worse than an AMG GT Ford or or an E63 or a C63. But who cares? Who cares? <laughs> it still sounds great. It's still fast, looks cool, uh, has a nice interior. So it's okay. We can forgive it, I think. If this was like six inches lower, like no one would have a problem with it because it then would just be an E coupe sportback thing. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these new coupes are not coupes, they're sedans. Let's be honest. They're not coupes because they have full like rear doors. They're sedans. Um, these SUV coupes are just the new version of what a sedan would be. They're just mm-hmm. a taller sedan. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, And it's not that much taller with the GLE because with the AMG one that we have here, it's been lowered. And with the air suspension, it's basically the same ride height as a regular vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, and like here's here's like my take on it is, I've always liked the Grand Coupe and the S5 Sportback, A5 Sportback, what have you, because I like that they give you more practicality over the regular four-door sedan counterpart, mm-hmm. and I think they're a little bit more stylish as well. Yeah, and then this is just taking that to, because I understand, like getting into the uh, like a 435 Grand Coupe, or or an S5 Sportback, it's pretty low. Um, the entry height is is gonna be low for some older people. Um, it, it's not the easiest to get in and out of. So having something higher actually does kind of make sense. And so I think I just follow that tra- train of thought where I go, okay, we start at a four door sedan level of practicality. We improve that with styling and practicality with a sport back. And then now we make that easier to get in and out of kind of works if you take that train of thought um because if we don't take that train of thought then everyone would just drive minivans which is not such a bad thing yeah i was gonna say like you 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 make that sound like it's a bad thing but that sounds perfect i love that idea (laughs) i honestly speaking i think it's it's just a it's a quirky vehicle it's good to show off in it's not going to be a car that you're going to take to the track. I mean, you can, but you're not. It's too heavy to be on the track. Yeah, it's, it'll last two laps. It's too heavy. The brakes are going to wear. Then you got the maintenance after, and you're going to go through all those tires, those 22-inch tires. You, no, it's not yeah. It's not a cheap experience for you to do that. Um, you may take it down to the drag strip because that's going to be kind of cool. Mm, but that's yes. really it. That's yeah, really... I do see people wanting to drag race something like this, especially with light bolt-ons. It's it goes a long oh, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if the four-liter V8, it's astonishing. Six hundred and three horsepower. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's one thing it's I'm not a huge fan of is how Mercedes just reuses their wheels. At least they didn't use the wheel that was on that GLS you tested, the hideous monoblock AMG wheel. Oh. Yes. But I don't like that they use the same wheel across their whole lineup. Entire lineup. Yeah. Because then you're limited to like three styles if you get an AMG. There might be different sizes and offsets and whatnot, but uh, 
Yeah, these are also some of the heaviest wheels I've ever mounted. I oh. I did a set of these 22-inch AMG wheels. They're like 40 pounds without a tire. Um, um, I'm, yeah. I'm actually a little upset. You can't get monoblocks with the GLE. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Just FYI, the, the matte black AMG 22-inch wheels that were here, that's a $500 extra option because they're black rather than silver. Uh, silver ones are included with the hundred and sixty thousand yeah. dollar car that you buy, uh, but if you want them in black, that's five hundred bucks. Hmm. Or you can call okay. Overdrive. They have Plasti Dip. Well, not Plasti Dip. What do you guys have? Yeah, we we have Plasti Dip from. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like forty dollars worth of Plasti Dip will uh, get you the same. No, don't do that to <laughs> your <children. laughs> What $160,000 AMG owner is going to go to your shop and be like, hey, can you Plasti dip my wheels? Well, that's why I know how heavy these 22s <laughs> are is because I had to dismount and remount a set that we sent to a body shop to paint black. Mm. Um, and then I'm like, holy crap, these are some heavy wheels. <laughs> really well made. They're strong. They're very well balanced. Like they, they took like virtually no wheel weights. Um, that's good for something that weighs that much is is mind blowing. But they that's, were that's like good. over forty pounds a wheel. Um, <laughs> yeah, mind blowing. I've never, I never expected an AMG wheel to weigh that much. Well, I mean, when the truck weighs like almost six thousand pounds, you kind of have to have strong wheels mm -hmm. to to take on that weight. Yeah, especially with the lower profile tires. Yeah. Um, I was just on a uh, Mercedes website. Apparently on the GLE 63 regular version or the coupe, you can't get the monoblocks. Only on the GLS. No, that's a good thing. <laughs> you can kill off those monoblocks. Like they're they're ugly, they're expensive. I mean, you know, it's only two thousand dollars. It really isn't that much. It would ruin the look of this. <laughs> the GLE coupe is quite nice. Perfect. Well, I think that's really it for uh, for today. It's a little bit of a shorter session, but not much news this week. Was there anything else that you wanted to add, Dustin? Um. Oh, a lot of news this week about the three. No, not the three. The Z thirty four. The new one, the, the <laughs> what we you wanted to call the 400, but it's the, the not. new Z, the newish ones, and everyone's come out and confirmed that okay, we can reuse a lot of the bits from the old car, like pretty much everything, chassis wise. Um, that's great. I yeah. I just I think like all the suspension guys will probably still have to have a little bit of tweaks because I'm sure the old VQ versus the new V. G engine, it's going to have weight differences. So suspension-wise, I'm sure there's still going to be tweaks. Um, but I'm sure everything else you can like just bolt on. It's going yeah. to be completely fine. Oh, yeah. actually, um, there was some news about that engine being a little bit different than the Q60 engine as well. It's not just straight from the Q60. Mm -hmm. uh, the turbos or something were a little different, but I didn't read into it. Yeah, so 400Z, it is getting people talking, which I think is great for Nissan. Um, I don't know. I think it's being compared to the likes of the Supra, the Cayman, what have you. So that's that's not a bad thing for kind of 
a really long mid-cycle refresh. This is a midlife crisis. Because <laughs> it's, it's, this is not even midlife. This is like, a, a, they've lived a whole life. The Z34 chassis has lived, has outlived, <laughs> every, has outlived everyone else uh, for that matter. But it is uh, a revival. And I think, I think it'll do okay. It's starting. I, I'm seeing some faith that even though it's still just a Z34, um, I see some hope for it, and I think I see enthusiasts getting excited about it. Mm-hmm. But I I hear more enthusiasts get excited about the FRS or GT86 or GRs GR86. You can't remember the, the other BRZ things. BRZ. It never changed. I always search for BRZ when I was looking for FRS parts. I'm like I don't remember where the dash goes. So I just search BRZ for everything. It's easier. It's, it's so much easier. Um, so yeah, that's how. But no. yeah, no, it's it, you know everyone. There's always haters, there's always doubters, but uh, the new Z, I think, will 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 see a lot of people adopt it. I think, yeah, I think, I think people will take it on. Yeah. yeah, I think the the pricing is where it's probably the most exciting. Um, like having almost double the power of a BRZ with ten thousand dollars more is is a pretty good bargain because. You can't spend ten thousand dollars on a BRZ to get four hundred horsepower, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. you can't. Um, but you know, there's a lot more than just power, I think. And, yeah. and for I, some people, well, it's going to be different. So for our generation and anyone older than us, uh, I think a lot of people still think that this car, like a lot of people, still doubt domestic brands to make good handling cars. Like people would. Obviously, they don't know anything about cars, but um, I, I think that is part of the appeal of of a fair lady or a Z, mm. is they think that that is a sporty handling coupe. That, yeah. But I think, and if again, if it were my money, I would go domestic for around forties under fifty k. It has to be domestic. The Supra is is way up there, sixty five k. It's 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 a lot more to spend um, for not a lot more performance. I can tell you that it's <laughs> it's slower than the Camaro SS one LE, uh, quite noticeably. But um, actually, Supra makes good power. I just came back. Okay, actually, let's talk a little bit about the Supra because I just came back from my third track day with the Supra. Uh, tweaked a little little bit about it, so it's got spacers in the back now, a little bit wider, and just did an alignment on it. And the car is a different car. Uh, I still don't like the Michelin Pilot Super Sports that they use. Um, those are getting replaced soon. Spoiler alert: you heard it here first. This is the first place I'm saying that it's getting new tires. I just ordered them earlier this week. They might be here tomorrow. Ling Longs? Um, no. But okay, so um, yeah, actually, this will be the exclusive, the kicking tire exclusive, which is uh, it's getting supercar threes, which is what the SS1 oh. LE had. Oh, uh, great tire! I love that tire on track. Very forgiving. Uh, a lot of grip can take a lot of heat. 
and lasts a long time. We did four track days on the Camaro. It still still had tread left, which for that heavy of a muscle car, I was pretty pretty blown away. Uh, so Supercar 3, um, we have some local Porsche guys running that tire. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what it can do. But the crazy thing is just how little or how much an alignment did for that car. We did align it before the first track day just to uh, get a baseline, but now um, it's drivable again. I really didn't like this car when I first took it out and it's starting to come together. And I think with the tires, uh, we'll find out in about two weeks how it does, but I am have high hopes for it now. Where are you um, going in two weeks? Uh, Vancouver Island again. So okay. I, we just we just did Vancouver Island. Alex ran a 122 in it. I ran a 124 in it, which both like pretty blew me away. I didn't think this car could do that in stock form because it's still on stock suspension, stock tires, stock tune. I don't. I'm not going to touch a tune. The car is so fast. Like coming out of the turns because of it's got eight speeds. Uh, so compared to the Lambo, compared to the Huracan, uh, the Supra actually has more torque. Wheel torque wise, the Supra's over 400. The Lambo on paper makes 390 something torque, and you can feel that coming out of a turn. If you're like, you can short shift, you can come out of a turn at 3000 RPM. The Supra has all the power in the world to, to exit that turn. Whereas Lambo, you still have to rev it off a little bit. Um, Lambo's still faster, uh, ultimately, but uh, Supra really, really good power. I wouldn't touch the tune um that's that's so here's the thing is in terms of sheer numbers if i were to take that car out stock it would lose to a type r around around vancouver island mm. that's why the supra has been such a struggle well that okay so supra has earned a reputation because there's been really good drivers driving it and like people modifying them in certain such a way but for the the kids that don't understand that they see the numbers and okay the big the the most obvious one was 2020 supra when it came out 330 something horsepower 333 or whatever and then they're like mark four supra made that 20 25 years ago um they don't understand what that really means a power figure um and and even then chassis wise in stock form it is lacking um so i think um yeah the supra is it's a good platform bmw's put a lot of uh they've, they've built the car to be something that you can work with so the basis is very good it doesn't heat soak the engine stays cool the whole day uh even because with when we went up to area 27 it was like 35 degrees out so it was hot and the car can take it um so that's what you're really getting for the money if you if you chase peak horsepower figures um it doesn't make any sense but uh, that's what you're getting the braking system is half decent for what it is but having been down the domestic side the the one le is still a much better bang for the buck but uh that car you know i was just watching the one le videos of when i was out on track with it and i'm just like i, I kind of want one i want to go i need to go back but now that the supra has kind of won me over again maybe i don't have to go back 
yeah that's kind of where because i don't want to live with the one le it barely fits in my garage it didn't fit in my underground garage uh before like my old condo had two parking spots one was between two pillars it wouldn't fit in there um nothing fit in there almost the m2 fit in there the sti fit in there like relatively barely easy. i remember the sti you told me that you had to like fold the mirrors and get someone to spot no you. The, the caravan needed to fold the mirrors in <laughs> uh the sti could fit in in that spot um i i scraped a wheel against the pillar once that's <laughs> that's it that's um, why alligators were invented Actually, I, sp I scraped the tires because oh, I had enough. I had enough camber that uh, it didn't actually. But my tire had a yellow mark on it, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I had enough camber that it it didn't it didn't touch the rim. Um, but yeah, like the Camaro is not a car I want to live with every day, and the Supra is an awesome commuter. It's good on gas. It's quiet. It's comfortable. Um, so the, you you get stuff that. You visibility don't... is just as bad though visibility is almost as bad but it's got blind spot sensors because the Camaro <laughs> one ss does not have blind spot sensors. <laughs> yeah, whereas toyota safety sense is standard now um so yeah it, it's just like one of those things that i i want to stress that like when you look at a car like especially for the younger audience is you, you can't just look at the numbers. You can't just look at the lap time because if you look at the lap time and even what a stock car reviews at, because if I had to review a super stock, I would, I would, I'm pretty, I was pretty scathing in my first track review of that car. It, at most, I would give that car a six out of 10 for stock out of the box performance and, and feel. Uh, it still has no steering feel, um, like, like none. But I don't know. Maybe the tires will change that. But um, how journalists review it is in stock form. That's all you get, and uh, that—that's one of the things too. Is they other manufacturers may give you more out of the box. A one LE is going to review well. Why? Because it's set up properly with good alignment, good tires from the factory. But all this stuff and good, really good brakes. Um, but all this stuff comes at you know, there's trade-offs with, with running 180 treadwear tires from the factory, um, especially in a burnout machine. So there's, yeah, don't just look at the numbers. Don't just look at the, the reviews. You really have to kind of dive deeper into things. I think talk to people that have owned these cars, live with them and, and tune them because in the matter of two months, my opinion on this car has changed significantly. And hopefully in a matter of one month, it will, or actually two weeks, uh, it will change again to be even better. But or, uh, or with the new tires and additional grip, you'll find faults within the chassis. I might, I might, because the alignment is set up for the existing tires. I don't mm -hmm. know how the new tires will react to that. Right. So uh, there is there is that chance, but that's something that I will have to then analyze again and then tweak for next season. Right. Um, so like, Are okay, you going well, with the, the same car... width as well, or it's one size up? Like two okay. stock is two fifty five, two seventy five. This is going to be two sixty five, two eighty five. Okay. Because they don't make supercar threes in the stock size, so we're going a little bit bigger, 
gives me a little bit more ground clearance, which is nice because the car in stock form um, is a little bit low. It's not low because you can stick four fingers into the into the front wheel wells, <laughs> but it is a little bit low for my hoist because like I have mm. to position a certain way, otherwise it, the blocks are. And I have one of the lowest hoists. Out Sounds there. like you you need a better hoist. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, my M2 has no issues on it, but somehow the Supra is a little bit lower, and it's it's awkward to put on a hoist because the wheelbase is really short, mm. so you're limited as far as your range on a hoist. Right. Um, but yeah, Supra, a lot of Supra news. Um, you know, follow us on Overdrive Auto Tuning's Instagram, uh, as well as my own, just to see kind of what developments we have, but. I'm taking this car really one step at a time. I'm spending a fortune in event fees and ferry fees, but I'm not I'm not throwing parts at it. Like I'm not like tires, yes, but I'm not throwing like a ton of money on it because I want to see how it responds to everything. And so far it's responded really well. The brakes, stainless brake lines and really expensive brake fluid has gone a long way. And so yeah, the development of this car continues. Um, stay tuned for more. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to end on. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for listening in this week. We got some great track news. Um, there's only a few more events this year, unfortunately, as the the season's wrapping up. But uh, hopefully, we get to experience some more of that next year. In any case, thank you so much for. Uh, listening in or watching in and we'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye for now.